rather speaking the truth in love. We are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. This is the word of the Lord. You guys can take a seat. Thank you, Allison. Well, um, I know it's been said a couple times, but happy Father's Day again. Um, yep, yep. Not just a woohoo, but... Um, what, so here's what we're going to do. We felt like it worked last uh, year when we were at um, Paseo Verde during this time. Uh, and the dads, they, they committed and they took pictures on Mother's Day. So what is the best way to reward those fathers but ice cream? And so... Um, we will have uh, Mighty Moo's ice cream uh, truck outside after service, and because the dads are so amazing, they don't want it just for themselves. Everyone eats for free. So um, go to the truck, get your ice cream, and um, we're going to pay for the first scoop, y'all. You want more than that? That's on you, okay? FYI. But it's out there, and it's for free. Don't ruin your Father's Day lunch appetite either. Um, the kid's like, can we, go between, can we go between service and after service? It's like, no, what's wrong with you? Um, so anyway, that's, uh, that's out there. Um, welcome. Honestly, if I don't know you, my name's Sean. I'm the lead pastor, teaching pastor here for uh, Redemption Peoria. You might have some questions. Maybe you're visiting for Father's Day about who Redemption Church is and how we operate. We're one church with 10 different congregations spread throughout the state of Arizona. There's eight here in the valley. Each congregation is elder-led and lead pastor-led. So there's local elders here and a lead pastor here at Redemption Peoria. And this is what Redemption Church looks like, is, is where, where you're at now. And it may look different at other congregations. But you might have questions. Myself and some of the other elders will be out in the lobby afterwards. We'd love to answer any of those things. Come up, say hi, all that. Um, we are, if, if, again, if you're new, we're in the middle of the book of Ephesians. And we started this book at the beginning of the year, and we're going to ride it all the way through, uh, getting at least to the middle of October, um, seeing kind of how some things play out uh, towards uh, the end of the summer. But we're going to be in it for a while. We're going verse by verse, chapter by chapter. And right now, this is what I said last week, we're in this little mini-series. The, the, what I said last week, and I'll remind everybody just to get us on the same page, is um, from the jump of Ephesians, what I tried to put in front of us was this idea that Ephesians is like going into a new house when you're looking to buy it, right? You go into a room, you see that room, you step out, you go into the kitchen, you see that kitchen, you go into the bathroom, and that's what Ephesians has been doing. It's been talking about soteriology, it's been talking about racial reconciliation, it's been talking about unity in different ways, and in this part that we're in Ephesians, in Ephesians chapter 4, Vince started this turn that takes place in Ephesians, which is on the church. It's on community. It's about us together walking worthy of the calling to which together we have uh, been called. And so what you need to know about the book of Ephesians, specifically where we are, is the first three chapters did not tell us to do anything. At one point it told us to remember, but there were no other imperatives. The, 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 the uh, first three chapters are really laying down a foundation as to what we need to know. And the last three chapters, chapters 4, 5, and 6, are going to begin to give us commands, telling us how we need to live in light of what we now know. And um, it may feel weird that we have the two verses if you were with us last week because it goes so well with the section that we were in. But let me read something from Spurgeon. I feel like that's always a great place to start. And then I want to pray for us before we dive in. But this is what uh, Charles Spurgeon, who was a, a preacher in the 1800s, this is what he says about uh, these two verses, verses 15 and 16. If I had to preach fully and accurately upon all that is taught in this text, I would certainly need to deliver a course of sermons, say five or six at least. 
There is such a wonderful depth of meaning in these inspired words that I might keep on expounding them and all the while be as one who takes water out of the sea, always wondering, uh, uh, out of the sea, sorry, um, yep, lost my place, it's tiny font, out of the sea, always wondering that there is so much more left that I can possibly draw from it. One writer says that the sense of this passage is as compacted as the joints of which it speaks. And that remark is very true, is a, is a very true one. Um, I thought we had that on the screen. So here's the idea. Spurgeon lays out, we've got two verses here. We've got about 40 minutes together. But I, honestly, and I think I agree with him, there's a lot to unpack in these two verses, especially in light of the fact that we've gone through this idea that we have this one call. From this one call, we recognize that God has given us each other gifts and leadership to walk out this one call. And then there's going to be things, philosophies, ideas, all types of snares that are going to try to trip us out, trip us up as we try to walk in this calling. So let me read the last couple verses uh, that we had last week so you can kind of know where we were to talk about some of these things that may trip us up. Look at verse 11. Let's start in verse 11. Uh, And he gave us the apostles and prophets and evangelists, the shepherds and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ until we attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the statue of the fullness of Christ. So that, this is big, we spent some time on this, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. We didn't get to spend too much time on there, but the language of, of that last verse in 14 has so much, I mean, the correlation even in Greek more is like a whirlwind. It's tossing us everywhere. And there's such intentionality in the original language. Matter of fact, it's where we get one of our word diots, where we get our, our word dice from. It, it's the idea that there are people, we're playing a game almost, and there are people who are trying to cheat in this game. And there's intentional deceit. There's mischief about people who are trying to guide it. These, these heavenly spirits, these spirits that are above and rulers over all things, these authorities that are over all things, are trying to draw you away from the truth. They're trying to draw you away from the truth. And so the way we ended our time was we need to be able to mature. We need to grow up. We need to have our feet planted. And what the text is going to do this morning is really give us a very tangible way to do that. Okay? And I'm excited to lay it out. So let's start. Verse 15. Let's jump right in. This is what it says. Rather, speaking the truth in love. Let's stop there. I know. We're covering a lot already. Rather. So, um, rather is obviously in light of everything that we just talked about, instead of being tossed to and fro, right, being, being uh, uh, deceived by what's going on, rather, here it is, speaking the truth in love. Now, I need you to, to look, uh, when you read that, you're going to say speaking the truth in love. The first three words there, speaking the truth, are one word in uh, Greek. And it is, it sounds weird, but it is a verb of the word truth. Quite literally translated, it is truthing. So rather than being tossed to and fro, let's talk about our relationship with one another. We need to truth one another. Rather than being tossed to and fro or deceived by what's going on, truthing. I mean, this is the same idea. I got a couple uh, reference points so you can know. In, in John 18, this is being of the truth. In John 8, it's abiding in the truth. In 1 John 1, it's having the truth in us. In John 3, 21, it's doing the truth. In 2 John 1, 4, it's walking in the truth. We are truthing. So take this idea. We're, we're, we're tossed to and fro if we're not having our feet set 
firmly in who Christ is, and we want to wander, y'all. We want to. We, we want to get off course. Our flesh wants to believe the other philosophies. It wants to take us to places we know we shouldn't go. But, but rather than that taking place, it goes to the we again. We're in the we language, the plural we. We look at each other and we truth one another. We're truthing one another. Uh, I can't help but think of um, Hebrews. I wrote this text down in Hebrews 3. Listen to Hebrews 3, verses 12 and 13. Take care, brothers, lest there be any uh, of you, lest there be in any of you um, an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God, but exhort one another every day as long as it is called today that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. So we talk about this for a second real quick because here's the reality, man. Um, truth is so abstract in the culture that we live in, and yet the Bible is calling us in our context. And right now, us as the church, being with one another in our communities, gathering on Sundays so that we don't get off course, we have to truth one another. And that's not easy. Like, I've been truth, like, this community itself has truthed me, right? Being told, hey man, listen, you can be a little blunt, right, at times, and, and kind of direct. And you know what that did to me? It made me very, very angry, okay? Right? And I was like, I'll direct you to get out of here, okay? So here, here's, here's the idea. Here, here's, here's the reality. When your truth in the community of faith, that you're not acting according to what the word of God would say, you're going off course and you're maybe believing man-made philosophies, that it's your own effort, your, your own will, your own drive. You're going somewhere else, believing another narrative, when someone comes beside you, can we just be straight? That's terrible. I mean, it's great for the soul, but the flesh ain't enjoying any part of it. So immediately, what do I do? I respond and I go, no, I justify. This is why. You're just seeing. And I'm going all at it. So, so let's kind of lay this slate clean real quick. Here's the reality. Let's all admit one thing. At least one thing if we can move forward, okay? Everybody needs to be corrected somewhere in this room. Every single one of us. Every single person in this room needs to be corrected, needs to be truthed somewhere in their life. So if we can lay that foundation, it shouldn't be a surprise when someone comes up and goes to you, hey, just so you know, blank. What? What? There's something wrong with me? No, no. We've laid the foundation. You need to be truthed. You need to be truthed. Now, I don't think it's a coincidence that the language here, rather speaking the truth, again, one word, it adds this idea of speaking. I understand why it adds the idea of speaking, but it's one word, truthing. It adds the language um, in love there. So rather speaking the truth uh, in love. This is obviously not a coincidence, right? Um, I think truthing at the same time as we're doing this together, not to be tossed to and fro, we need to be truthed a lot. Um, for some, truthing comes a lot easier than it does to others. Right, so take my own marriage for Candace and I. I love to truth people way more than she does, right? I love to call spade a spade. This is what's happening. This is what needs to take place. You're wrong here, right? So it comes a lot easier for me than it does for her. But what's crazy about that is the Bible does not just leave me as a community to not be tossed to and fro that you need to truth, but you need to truth in love. I love how John Stott says it. He says, truth 
becomes soft if it is not strengthened with love, and love becomes hard if it is, if it is not weakened by... No, let me read that again. Something good. I don't want to ruin this. I wrote it down here somewhere. Yes, truth becomes hard if it is not softened with love, and love becomes soft if it is not strengthened with truth. That's good. Even though I messed it up, it's still good, right? Like this is, like the idea here is that if you have truth without love, it's hard. It's, it's, it's not received. I mean, 1 Corinthians speaks to this, right? In chapter 13, you're a sounding gong, a clanging cymbal. Nobody cares what you have to say in those moments. But if all you have is love, and you just, I just love them. I love them for, I accept them. They're great. This is awesome. But there's no truth. That love becomes weak. It becomes soft. And so here's Jesus, a beautiful display, meeting a woman caught in adultery, bends down, says, listen, who's here right now? Who's standing? Who's standing here that hasn't sinned before? They all walk away. Here he is, just them two, Jesus and this woman. And he does a beautiful display of truth and love in a compacted moment. Says, hey, listen, this, this is a mess. You're forgiven though. You're forgiven. And then you're ready, but stop sinning. Go, sin no more. So here's this display of truth and love. And in the community of faith, if we want to stay steadfast and not get caught in the snares, the schemes, deceitful ways of empty philosophies, we have to be able to truth each other, but we have to do it in love. And you want to know how you can know if you're doing this right? Does it suck when you have to truth someone? Sorry, I use the word. It's Father's Day. Give me grace. But is it hard? Like, do you enjoy going to that person and like just calling them out on the carpet. Like you can see this in the same way in gossip. How do you know you're gossiping? If you're telling somebody something and you like telling them, like you, you're like, you kind of enjoy the moment you've been looking forward to it, even though it's kind of weird, you kind of like it. Or, or is it something that is hard to come out of your mouth? Like, man, I, I, can't, I don't want this to happen. I hate that this is happening. And in that moment, you know you love someone. You know you care for them. And you've got to tell them the truth. My prayer for our community, our community is that we would do this well, that we would keep our eyes on the cross and we would continue to truth one another in love. Now, it isn't in there. Obviously, we got a lot of text still to cover. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up uh, in every way into him who is the head into Christ. So let, let's start to turn a corner. Here's why we're truthing one another in love. Because last week we talked about so many of us have been walking this Christian game out and we're acting immature. And it's time to grow up. It's time to mature in your faith. To not be tossed. I give the analogy of me and my kids. Where I'm wave, uh, waist deep in waves. I'm not tossed because I'm strong. I'm mature. I'm a grown man. But they're tossed back and forth. They're not fully mature yet. And the way that we can continue to be mature and grow up is truthing one another in love. And when that happens, check this out. We are becoming more like Christ. We are growing up into him who is the head. And that's the ultimate truth, right? Because truthing one another is not going, you need to see this from the Republican state of mind. You need to see this from the Democrat state of mind. No. What does Jesus say? How does Jesus live? How does Jesus act? You're wrong. Act like him. Grow up into him who is the head. And I love this. This is amazing. Um, It says this. From whom, talking about Jesus as the head, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow uh, so that it builds itself up in love. So I want to stop real quick and um, 
talk through some of this stuff because uh, here, here's the reality. As we're going to lay out this next part, and we've been talking about in these three weeks, what it means to communally live with one another, to know each other, to truth one another, to have the same calling, to grow up, to not be tossed to and fro. Here's, here's what I think um, I know has been my own experience, and my guess is many of you um, have experienced within the church, okay? Let me start with this. Part of my job as the lead pastor of Redemption Peoria is to know what is going on in the church world. That's just part of it, right? So some of you know the nursing game. You know nursing culture. I don't know what goes on in nursing culture. Some of you know the latest tools that are coming out in your field of expertise. Some of you get the stock market, know that's going on. You get education because you're living it every single day. You know your world. A part of me and my job is to know the church world, to, to understand and see not just analytics, but to see like uh, uh, camps of, of people online or to talk with pastors occasionally throughout the week, whatever it is, to know what's going on in the church world. And here's something you can totally be aware of in the church world, is there is slowly but surely a changing of the guard in the way that we do church. And I don't mean what I talked about last week. What I mean by that is, whether right or wrong, um, there have been a lot of people hurt by Church Incorporated. A lot of people. Meaning, um, for a long time, some of you, and I know I experienced this, um, were following this man or maybe this group of men that um, looked a lot more like a business than it did a church, wasn't an eclectic body, like a CEO model, and you followed this vision and they were driven, and so you followed them, but you felt driven you felt burned out, you felt hurt, you felt like you weren't connected, and maybe you haven't felt this, but I know I have. And so the churches have looked a lot more like, it, like, a, like a, a business than it did this eclectic, beautiful body, this poetic body uh, that lives together communally, right? And so you get super frustrated, and I know this isn't uh, new to anybody, at least if you've been in the church long enough, this burnout, this hurt, this pain. Um, we saw this actually, uh, there's a woman... I keep forgetting all this stuff. I'm getting old, apparently. Um, uh, Anne Rice. I don't know if you guys know who Anne Rice is, but in 1998, she's the one who wrote uh, some of the vampire books. Uh, we are reading in the book Immeasurable by Sky Jahani how he tells the story of how Anne Rice in 1998 um, made this declaration. If you read Anne Rice, or some of you, I don't know if you were born in 1998, but if you read Anne Rice, um, she declared in 1998 that she wasn't going to write any more vampire books because, and I quote, um, I've now become a Christian and I want my work to reflect that. And the readers and the publishers obviously were super upset by this, but 12 years later in 2010, she came out again and said, today I am done being a Christian. I, I'm done following uh, the church. I'm still loving and following Jesus, but I'm no longer a Christian, which obviously just whatever, okay? I, I, I'm doing this, and it came out for two reasons. One, because a lot of the church's stance on issues like homosexuality, but more than that, the morality issues, more than that was how much she found the disenjointed aggravation of the way that the church world looked and what it said it was. Felt hurt, burned out, and frustrated. Now, Sky Jahani, who wrote the book Immeasurable, um, talks about this idea. Let me read something uh, from him and in, in him describing this. He says, Anne Rice's journey represents what more and more people are reporting. They are drawn to Christ. They want to follow him as Lord, but they are finished with this aspect of Church, Inc., whether like Rice, they are done pledging allegiance to cultural, political Christianity or are simply exhausted by the burdens laid on them by the church leaders, there is a desire to abandon the institutional structures of the church. To a growing number of people, the church feels like a vampire sucking the life out of them. 
And, and Barna Research proved this. In 1970, they polled um, as many Americans as they could. And um, the most trusted institution was the church, 1970. 68% of people, even those who weren't believers, said they still trusted the church. Again, in 2015, same poll, same questions. 42% of people trust the church. And the church is less, is under 10. It's not even the top 10 institutions that the world trusts. And it's just, it is. And so we're going to, I can get up here and talk about how we need to live communally. We have one calling. There is a we in all of this. And yet you're going, well, so let me press into this just a little bit. Everything I just shared may be true. How I feel and my experiences may be true. But Jesus has given us the church. And it's messed up and it's broken but there's no plan B. And so when you hear me talk about these words of us being uh, one with one another, coming together, living with one another, you may have ideas. Well, I'm part of the church. You have friends who go, I'm part of the church. I just don't belong to a church. I'm part of the invisible church, the, the long lasting church. I'm, I am a Christian, but I don't go to a church. I'm sorry, but it's not possible. It's just not biblically possible. Let me read something from a guy named Leslie Newbegin, who spent 40 years as a missionary to India, came back to the church, and I promise saw more brokenness than you could experience. I mean, was dumbfounded, distraught by what he saw in the church. He said this, because the church is always a bunch of sinners, should be a comma, it is uh, very easy to become completely pessimistic about the church, but we have to be both realistic and faithful Let's not escape to this idea of a merely invisible church. Listen, check it out. I know, and I, I, I wish and I hope as elders, our prayer would be that we would never add to that long list of people who are by, hurt by the church. But, but we probably were. That was never our hearts. We don't want to be uh, painted with some of the, the ways that people are doing church, and we get it. But at the end of the day... God has called us to be together, to take communion with one another, to watch each other be baptized, to see our kids raised, to be under leadership, to share each other's gifts, to share each other's burdens, to truth one another, to do this all in love. God has called us to do this. And us fleeing from the church is not the answer. Dare I say, that is even impossible. And so um, when we read the text in verse 16, it's going to get at things that um, need to be and are true, but are hard for us to believe. So let's break this verse 16 down. I'm sorry for that tangent. I felt like it was necessary. It says this, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint from, uh, with which it is equipped, when every part is working properly, makes the body grow. Let's stop real quick. There's a word that sticks out, and it stuck out to me probably around Thursday, and it's the word properly. Yes, the reality is some of us have church hurts. It's true. Maybe even of this church. But what this text is going to give us is the word properly. But when done properly, that means, yes, there is a broken way that we can see it, but there is a way that this can be done. It's the way that it is supposed to be properly. This is exactly what it gives us. From whom, again, talking about Jesus, the whole body, you ready for this? Joined and held together by every joint. So um, on Friday, myself and John Demeter 
went with a guy named Josh Prather uh, to a mosque, um, and we went to their service. And we went to the service on Friday because it was the end of Ramadan for them. And um, for 30 days, Muslims there in this mosque off of 35th Avenue and Union Hills have been uh, praying for 30 days from sunrise to sunset. Uh, We go there, and it's like their Easter, right? So um, usually there's probably 20 or 30 people in their service. There was like 300 people in this service. And so we go and sit, and we listen. We sit in the mosque. We listen. We weren't allowed to be in the first part because there's very certain prayers that had to be prayed. But then we came in, and we were allowed to sit and listen to the whole service. And here's what's amazing as I I listened to what was uh, being said from their pulpit, right? Is um, as this imam who who got up there, like the pastor, as this pastor got up, He talked in such a way that there was no not us. Like, for Muslims, I need you to think about this. For Muslims, they're not part of majority culture. So they have to use language. We Muslims have to stick together. Now, I know we Muslims are viewed by other people this way, but we have to show them that that's not true. We Muslims, we Muslims, we Muslims... It was this collective thing. Man, this summer, I, I, I've decided because of Morgan Burris's relentless questions on Mormonism to study Mormonism, okay? And so um, set out my goal is to read 20 books on Mormonism this summer and really get out and meet with some missionaries in a couple weeks. Super jacked about it, um, okay? But here's what I, I have come to find out about Mormonisms, uh, or Mormonisms, about Mormons, about uh, those who are in uh, the Jehovah's Witness cult, wherever they are, is there is a togetherness, They are all in. And so when we read the words from whom the whole body joined and held together, I need you to hear the words quite literally translated, clamped together. You are called to be clamped together. This is not you working your Christianity out on an island. No, no, no. Ephesians just told us the proper way to do this is to be joined clamped together. What I think of is Legos. They fit together perfectly that we are called to be in this together. And then it says this, which I love, joined and held together by, by every joint with which it is equipped. So here's the question. Um, How is the body clamped or held together? How is it joined together? And the answer, by every joint with which it is equipped. How is the body held together? How do I not leave the body? How am I clamped to one another? You want to know the answer? The body. The body holds together the body. So at the beginning of this year when I broke my ankle, check this out, broke my ankle and the bone failed me. The bone failed me in my ankle. And so here's the rest of my body holding my ankle in place. All the while, the pain receptors, the nerves, the ligaments are going, hey, dumb bone, stop doing that. The, the, the ligaments and the pain receptors, the nerve endings are truthing my ankle. Stop. Why would you bend that way? You're not supposed to bend that way, dummy. And so now we have to swell up and we've got to try to fix your mistake We've got to truth you. And so what is holding, healing, mending, keeping the body together? Look at me. The body. The body. It's joints and it's ligaments holding these bones together. It's us holding us together. There is no, I'm just going to go do this. I'm not part of a church. That doesn't exist. What keeps you on the right path 
is you. What keeps me on the right path is you. I'm to keep you there. You're to keep me there. The body holds and keeps the body together. I I love, there's two translations that I loved how they translated verse 16. Listen to NLT, which is the New Living Translation. It says, he makes the whole body fit together perfectly as each part does its own special work. It helps the other parts grow. Listen to New King James Version, which is, I have been reading a lot of King James Version lately uh, because of the Mormons. But New King James Version, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies. So you coming to the table and saying, I'm all in. I'm doing this Christian thing, I'm here, and we're in this together, is what keeps me going in the game. Because I feel like quitting sometimes. I feel like I can't go on sometimes. I don't feel like reading my Bible sometimes. I don't feel like praying sometimes. I feel like studying sometimes. But there's a reminder that you're doing this as well. And I know you feel like you don't want to go to work sometimes. You don't want to witness sometimes. You don't want to be a good dad, a good mom sometimes. But we hold each other together. And it was crazy to watch the Muslims get it. We have this together. We, we get this together. If we're not in this together, we're, we're going to be scattered. We're going to be broken apart. And we're going to be carried away by every form, wind of doctrine. We're going to be carried away by that deceit, that empty philosophy. The body holds the body together. The next, so by which every, um, uh, by every joint with which it is equipped, says this, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow. When each part is working properly, it makes the body grow. So this is where we got to stop. And I'll start to wind down before, and we'll read the last part of the text. Um, but there's something to be said about if this is done properly. Because if this is done properly, we are going to grow, which sounds poetic, doesn't it? But, but here's, here's, um, here's a truth that we can, it takes like one meathead in the room to go, no pain, no gain. There's a recognition to go, hey, you want to grow it's going to hurt. And so we love the idea. I love true thing. I love that we'd be in this with one another. We're clamped together. But if we're going to do it right, if we're going to do it the proper way, that means we're going to grow. And you know what comes with growth? Growing pains. Because some of y'all sitting in the room and you want to lose weight, but you don't want to stop eating the way that you are. You want to have a better marriage, but you can't put down IG, Facebook, video games. Like, Like you want to know God's word more, but you want your sleep a little more. And here we are. We want to do the church thing. We want to follow Jesus with all of our heart because he is the head. We want to be clamped together. But we don't know what it fully means to be the church and grow. Because you know what that means? Sacrifice. It means pain. And so we can read the words when every part is working properly, makes the body grow. But growth is hard. Growth is hard. So I feel like Ephesians is just calling us out on the carpet right now. But when done properly, if we could be the church and be committed, laying down our preferences, continuing to lean into one another, knowing that we're clamped together, listen to this promise, so that it builds itself up in love. If we press through the pain and grow, we will be built up in love. Now here's where we'll finish. There's no question in my mind that at the end of 16, The church is what Jesus always wanted. As I read the end of 16, it's clear, and I started to roll a deck in my mind last night, like going through, okay, what what does this mean? 
And it's a clear fulfillment of what Jesus always wanted. So how do I know this? Before Jesus um, leaves the earth, the largest portions, if some of you guys have a red letter Bible where all the words of Jesus are in red letter, the largest portion of red letters you're going to find together in all of the New Testament is in John 14, even end of 13, 14, 15, 16, and 17. It's almost all red. Occasional interjection of crazy questions by Peter, somebody else, but it's almost all red. And as you read this, you get to the end of that whole section, you get to chapter 17, which Josh uh, read in, in uh, our time of worship. Now, it's ending this time. Here's what you need to know. Jesus is on his way to the cross. And so what he starts to pray is what has been traditionally known as the high priestly prayer. Now, the first 19 verses are very specific to those 12 disciples. So when you read that, you can know these are written, this this prayer what Jesus is praying is towards those specific apostles, his 12 disciples. But then he turns the thing on a hinge, and he prays this. Look at, um, you can go there if you want to, but it's in John 17. We're going to pick it up in verse 19. Uh, Verse 20, I apologize. He says this, I am praying not only for these disciples, so his 12, the ones that he was praying for right there, but also for all who uh, who will ever believe in me through their message. So just so you know, just so we're on the same page, there's a lineage. Peter witnesses someone who witnesses someone who witnesses someone who witnesses someone over, and over, 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 over. And here we are 2,000 uh, years later, through the message of Peter, you heard the word of Jesus Christ. Okay, so somewhere along that, now he's praying very specific for you and I, our church, Redemption Peoria, through their, through their message. Here's his prayer. I pray that they, us, will all be one just as you and I are one. As you, as you, this is going to get confusing, as you are in me, Father, and I am in you, and may they be in us so that the world will believe you sent me. I have given them the glory you gave me so that they may be one as we are one. Okay, just stop real quick. Jesus is praying, going to the cross, now praying very intentionally, not just for the disciples, but for Redemption Peoria in 2018, praying for my church. His prayer is that we would be one in the same way that Jesus and the Father are one. This is everything we've been talking about in our passage this morning. So much so that we are one in the Father. Now listen to this. He continues to pray, okay? Verse 23, I am in in them and you are in me, okay? May they experience, experience such perfect unity, and there's two that's, okay? That. The world will know that you sent me. That's the first one. So we'd be in such unity that the world around us would go, wow, there's unity there, like there's not unity anywhere else. And we have failed a lot in that. But the second that and that, so I'm going to go back. May they experience such perfect unity, praying for unity. May they be so unified that they they would know, here we go, you love them as much as you love me. Father, I want these whom you have given me to be with me where I am. His second that is, and again I say, you love them. That they would be in such unity, we would be in such unity, that we would know that we are loved. How did the end of our passage, let's go back to our passage, so that it builds itself up in love. What is the it? It's the body. It's us as the church. We, as the church are the body, are building ourselves up in love, therefore fulfilling the promise of Jesus, i.e. this. 
Jesus, that sounded real fancy for some reason, I-E, okay? Um, I don't know why I do that. Um, Meaning, not I-E, meaning this. When Jesus prays that we would be unified as one, he's doing so that we would know we are loved by the Father. And what Ephesians 4.16 just said is, if we are unified, we will be built up in love. So, you want to know you're loved by the Father? You want to know why you keep forgetting that you're loved by the Father? You want to know why when you sin you feel like you're so far from the Father? You want to know why in the moments of doubt, frustration, contemplation, you feel like you can't get there and recognize you are one in Jesus Christ and loved by the Father? Because you're not with believers to remind you it is so. I know you want to draw away in those moments, but what we're just told is the exact opposite, press in. To know you are loved by the Father, Jesus has given us the church. Let's do this. Let's do it together. Be all in. And, and I'm not just saying this because I'm a pastor. Like, recognizing this, like, I, we're not trying to build anything as, as elders. There's a, if this isn't your home, go be in a church and be all in. I know that place needs children's workers. I know it. Be all in. There's a community around you somewhere. Be all in. Get to know people. Get to know those believers. Know them deeply. Let them know you deeply. Let them remind you and you remind them of the love of God. Let us be unified, joined together so that the body would hold the body together. So we would not be set off astray, uh, tossed to and fro by waves that are coming our way by empty deceit. Let's pray. Jesus, thanks for your prayer there that you always wanted us to know that we're loved by you and the Father. Thank you for the reminder, just even the language that you want to be with us and you want us where you are. Man, I I know I forget that a lot. And I know there's a lot of people in this room who forget that a lot. So as we read Ephesians 4, 15 and 16, we're reminded that you've given us each other as a fulfillment of what you prayed for. Father, thank you for answering the prayers of Jesus and bringing us together and unifying us, calling us to be one so that we would truly know your love. Thank you for that. We love you. We praise you. We desperately need you. In Jesus' name, amen.